I'm Shanna Paxton. <laughs> and I'm Jeff Gibson. And together mm. we are The, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of The Gibson Review. Each episode, we first talk about our weekend review, what we watched uh, since the last episode. Then we move on to the main event, which is typically a topic of discussion or a main review. Then we finish off with film faves, our respective list of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, often marching backward through time. In this episode, our main event will be our summer movie preview. Summer is coming up, so it is that time. Even though it's raining like cats and dogs. Well, April showers and whatnot. In our film phase, however, uh, we'll be getting back to our march through time. We last finished off the 2000s, and so we will wrap up by counting down our favorite movies of that decade. But first, Shanna, you know... We had a milestone that we forgot to mention in our last episode. Episode 27. That wasn't the milestone. Oh, okay. The milestone was at the time that episode 27 uh, was published was actually our one year anniversary. Aw, we're so cute. Yeah. Can you believe we've already done a year's worth of episodes? No. And we stuck with it. We're so cool. And we're still doing it. This is great. So, if you're sick of us, too bad. I don't know why you're listening to this episode. <laughs> we're here but, to stay. We hope so. Um, at least for another year, anyway. So, here's to another year or two. All right. With that, Shanna, what have you been watching since the last episode? So, I got to watch 9 to 5. Oh, the 1980 film starring Dolly Parton, Lily Tomlin, and Jane Fonda? That's right. And Damney Coleman, I believe, yeah? Mm-hmm. And that's on HBO streaming right now. And I really had a lot of fun with this movie. So each of these women have fantasies about how they would like to treat their boss the way that they get treated by him. Because, to give him a taste of his own medicine. Because he's actually like a chauvinist. He's such an asshole. Yeah. And he takes credit for Lily Tomlin's work, and mm. he's not very compassionate towards Jane Fonda, and he doesn't take no for an answer from Dolly Parton. Mm. And what this movie also showed is how women are pitted against each other. Ah. And it would be nice if we could look back on this film and see things like that and be like, wow, that's so archaic. Oh my gosh, were people really like that? But I, do you feel that's the case? Well, no, not necessarily. Mm. There's, there's still stuff like that happening. Mm-hmm. And there's some other things that get addressed later, like they become the office managers and they make some changes to make a healthier and higher productivity. Oh environment for the employees uh-huh. and not those are all good ideas what they do with the place but not all companies have that so hmm. we're still not there so you had asked me oh is it dated well you know fashion wise and music wise sure but concept wise not really that's interesting let me ask you In this some cases right let me ask you this then do you feel like, this is a movie that should be remade or, like, updated and remade 
Or do you think that the movie stands perfectly fine today on its own? I mean, I don't think you should remake it. No? No, I think you should just leave it alone. And if anything, make your own new piece of work that comments on office culture. Hmm. Specifically, like, the inequality and the ill treatment of the opposite sex co-workers. Which would be very hard not to compare to 9 to 5, right? Well, yeah, you could compare to it. You could say that it's a jumping off point, but I think you should take what exists right now and and go from there. It's very interesting. So that film is now 38 years old almost. Oh, almost wow. at a 40-year anniversary for that. And it's very interesting uh, to, to see the movie and and realize that we're dealing... Or, or some of the same issues are just now coming to a head. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy. We are such a slow society. <laughs> what else have you been watching? The other thing I got to watch by myself was Kindergarten Cop. Mm. And that's Arnold Schwarzenegger in the... I don't remember what year it is. 1987? Uh, I think it's 89. Is oh, it 90? Okay. Somewhere well, around there. You're going to check that and get back to me. <laughs> but this is essentially about a undercover cop that poses as a kindergarten teacher he wasn't supposed to be the one that did it originally but his co-worker got sick so they had to kind of switch roles and forgot about that it's hilarious because the kids are so cute and the kids are still like they are today where if you you know there's a line that one teacher gives uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, she says, you know, kindergarten's kind of like the ocean. You don't want to turn your back on it. <laughs> and <Okay. laughs> that's when the absolute chaos reigns. And it's just hilarious how the kids are. I mean, there's that famous line, like, girls have vaginas and boys have penises oh, or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, w- the twins, you know, they get asked, you know, it's career day and... What do your parents do? And the twins say, our mom says our dad is a sex machine or something like that. And it's like, oh my. They say it in unison. So it's like a, like a more realistic, creepy version of the Shining twins depiction. What's more creepy? It's, well, it's realistic. So. Okay. Anyway, so that's a really fun movie. And. Yeah, so the film actually was a, a holiday film film in 1990 Mm -hmm. and it was directed by ivan reitman who you know and love from ghostbusters prior to that and stripes i believe if i'm not mistaken so how did it hold up was really the the kindergarten scenes the the only good parts of the film or did it hold up as a whole i haven't finished watching it oh really uh yeah i haven't just i just haven't gotten through it and it's fluff it's not there to comment about anything in particular but yeah the best scenes are with all the kids okay and um, i can't remember who the principal is in this film but linda hunt there we go it's really funny because they have a fire drill practice and you know that schools have to complete those in a certain amount of time otherwise they're kind of in trouble yeah rightly so and (laughs) he has no idea what to do and he just like 
runs out of there with all his kids screaming and running in circles. <laughs> and he's like holding one on each hip and it's like, run, run, there's a fire. And it's like, it's, it's just, you know, you could take that and jiff it and be like the story of my life. <laughs> there's a lot of moments like that. Very cool. So that's Kindergarten Cop from 1990. Available on HBO, right? Yes. Okay. Cool. I actually got to watch something on my own. And even more remarkable, because it's been two, three episodes since this has been the case. I got to watch three things on, um, uh, without you, Shannon. Oh, look at you. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, so I'll kind of run through them as briefly as possible. First is Old Boy from, I think, 2002, 2003. This is by Park Chan-wook. First of all, this is a very quite legendary film by Park Chan-wook that many cinephiles have gone gaga over. I first heard about this film back in 2009 or 2010 uh, from podcasts I listened to. It became clear it was one of the movies that I needed to catch up with. And there it sat on my Netflix queue for five or six years. <laughs> so finally, finally, I got an opportunity to see it. And I realized the only um, other Park Chan-wook film I've seen is Snowpiercer from 2012, 2011 oh, yeah. with Chris Evans. I like Snowpiercer a lot better. You should see it sometime. It's also, I think it's better reviewed than Old Boy, although Old Boy is definitely one of his most popular ones. Mm-hmm. This is a film that has a reputation for being quite grisly, quite bloody and violent, and has good reason. It's quite a visceral ride. It's really something. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, really, it's really quite an experience. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is about a guy who suddenly, while he's drunk, gets abducted, and he gets um, held in some sort of a room for years. Years go by without any explanation as to why he was abducted or who did it or anything like that. Suddenly he gets released, and he goes on this mission of vengeance trying to find out who abducted him for 15 years or something, why they did it, and he's going around killing whoever may be related to who's responsible. It's a journey, and I I, I didn't buy the payoff, so I think it's a film that's definitely worth enjoying the journey, but the end is is really kind of hard to believe especially since it's um, it's supposed that the main character and the person responsible are supposedly around the same age when the person responsible looks 10 years his junior. But all that does is take what is a great film and just make it a very good film. So uh, if you're interested at all, especially if you're interested in any of the benchmarks of film of the past decade, Definitely check it out. I think it's still on Netflix. That's Old Boy by Park Chan-wook. Second, I saw, I rewatched His Girl Friday, which I think is the 1940 film starring Rosalind Russell and Cary Grant and Ralph Bellamy, who some people will know 
from, oh, 40 years later in Trading Places as one of the rich guys. So His Girl Friday, for those who don't know, is a remake of The Front Page, which was a newspaper comedy about a guy who is about to be hanged for a crime he may or may not have committed and how the media is kind of implicit in leading to someone's potential death, you know? But in His Girl Friday, it's turned more into a kind of a fast-talking workplace romantic comedy, too, because Rosalind Russell is coming back to get Cary Grant to file divorce papers because they were married, and she's going to marry Ralph Bellamy. Ralph Bellamy's a bit of a, a, not a wet blanket, but an average Joe insurance guy, you know, very vanilla. Anyway, this movie is definitely worth checking out for its just lightning fast witty banter. You have to really pay attention in order to catch some of the jokes, catch some of the references in it. Watching it, I don't know, my third or fourth time, I noticed references to Ralph Bellamy himself. And then there's um, another a reference uh, a reference to Cary Grant as the Mock Turtle in Alice in Wonderland a few years before. You have to really pay attention and understand context and everything to, to get these things, but it's definitely an awesome, hilarious, dialogue-driven, screwball comedy. And honestly, it's really Rosalind Russell's show more than it is Cary Grant's show. And if you don't know Rosalind Russell, this is definitely a showcase to check her out. So that's His Girl Friday. It's on Criterion, so I imagine if you want to stream it, you could probably find it on Filmstruck or just buy the the Criterion Blu-ray because it's definitely worthwhile. It even has a newspaper foldout for the the liner notes of it, which is pretty cool. Lastly, I saw Hondil de Shuksanam. Also known as Straight from the Heart for Western audiences, this film is actually from 1999. However, it never was released in the States. It's a Bollywood film that's notable for being the film that really kind of made Ashraya Rai's career, as I understand it. And, you know, she exploded from this film. She had acted like four, for like previous four or five years before it, but. This is the film that really took off. It's basically about a young woman named Nandini, played by Rai, who falls in love reluctantly with an aspiring musician who comes to learn from her father. However, their love eventually becomes forbidden because somebody else comes along and based on because of customs, she is arranged to be married to this other dude. And the musician is more or less banished from their home. Uh, he's, he's also, I should say, visiting from Italy. I really wasn't sure how I was going to feel about this movie because it is over three hours long, and it's a three-hour long Bollywood film, Hindi film, which in previous episodes I've already mentioned that's kind of how it is and what to expect when you're going into Bollywood. But I actually ended up mostly enjoying this film quite a bit especially the first half the first 90 minutes ish 
the music is really great. If you like Indian flavored music at all, you're going to really like the music in this film. The production numbers are big and grand and quite a bit of fun. Uh, Ashraya Rai is really great. She's a lot of fun and she really holds your attention. It's really striking to see, even though this is only five years before, like four or five years before Bride and Prejudice, how young she looks in this movie. Because mm. she's 26-ish. The post-intermission segment is where I, I, I have a little bit of issues, and that's where it gets really melodramatic, and I start to have issues with the character Nandini, where she just absolutely gets stubborn beyond reason. And it kind of saves itself a little bit toward the end, sort of. But I, I, I give this film, I would say, a 7 out of 10. It's a, a modest recommendation, particularly for the first 90 minutes. If you're not really hardcore about filling the blind spots of Bollywood, just watch the first 90 minutes at least. And I think you might have a lovely time. And maybe you'll be sucked in enough to check out the rest of the film. But that is Hong Dil De Shuk Sanam which I was able to get on disc from Netflix. Okay, so Shanna, we have seen a couple movies together, or a couple things together. First is we finished the latest season of The Walking Dead. We did. So, first of all, if you're not caught up with The Walking Dead, and you're interested in in getting caught up, in The Walking Dead. Skip ahead for the next three to five minutes. But, Shanna, what are your thoughts of this past season of The Walking Dead series and where we are at with it? I feel like we've kind of decreased in quality. Really? Decreased in thrill factor. I mean, when we were three episodes before the end, I was so annoyed because it felt like they were just getting nothing done. Hmm. Either side. It yeah. felt like nothing was happening. When you say either side, you're talking about the saviors and... And then Rick's side. Whatever you call it. <laughs> yeah, well, whoever else there is, you yeah. know? And so it became very annoying for me, actually. Okay, because um, you wanted a resolution to the Negan story. Well, it felt like steps they were taking... Like, weren't actually getting us closer to anything in particular. Mm. It, feels, it felt like we were just going around in circles and circles and circles. And you know what? You can do that in the comic books. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Don't do that here. <laughs> okay. So hmm. I, I'm not saying that I wanted it to happen swiftly. I'm, it just, I think it dragged out just a little too long. Okay. And the end, the final episode irritates me slightly in that Maggie is kind of now against Rick mm. and so is Daryl I you know after how much they've been through yeah like it feels like the writers are struggling it doesn't feel like that's something the character would do you know it's it's kind of hard for us to say since we're so far behind on the comics to really say like whether or not this is something the characters would do i mean you could definitely debate whether or not it's more believable if it actually follows the same way in the comics but i would say that you know 
not everybody has to come down to they're either going to kill someone or not. <laughs> you know, they could, like, if mm-hmm. I have a tiff with somebody, I'm just not going to associate myself with them. If I have an entire community of my own with walls, I could just be like, hey, leave us alone. Don't ever come back. I'm really mad at you. It could be like the you know? tribe that cut themselves off from, you know. And talking about the uh, beach girls. The tribes in Wakanda. Well, I'm thinking oh. of a different movie, but the beach girl, the okay. the woman that cut themselves off and retreated into the best kind of safety they could think of. Yeah. Yeah, you could do that too. Yeah, right. You right, don't have yeah. to like kill. I mean, if you want to kill Negan, I'm not going to stop you. Go ahead, get it done, whatever you want. Okay. Uh-huh. But to like say we're going to show Rick and Michonne. So here's the thing. While I I feel there's definitely alternative actions that could be taken that's not violent, I could see why Maggie would come to where she's at. She wants closure. She wants some sense of satisfaction some sort of sense of revenge for her husband who is one of the most beloved characters and it makes some fans may feel that way too i can understand that and daryl it's been set up that daryl's had enough with rick too i could see that as well i understand Mm -hmm. where they're coming from i'm not entirely sure well I, i think like the next season is the last season of the walking dead and it's very clear from this season that we are trying to move to something. You know, in this entire premise, where it's all about a post a kind of apocalypse, that's a zombie apocalypse, it's very hard to kind of come to some sort of a, a resolution in a story, you know, without it just kind of carrying on, right? And it's very clear that the series is trying to work to some sort of a solution that is of course motivated by carl who unfortunately passed away halfway through the season he didn't necessarily get fridged but he did die and now there's a different purpose happening right it's a little irritating Eh, i think i think i think it works i think it works quite well i think because of his letters and because of the argument that he was trying to assert even before he died that you have to ultimately build a world mm-hmm. again. We ultimately have to move on and recreate and start over. And you can't do that if all you're trying to do is be territorial and kill each other. And I think that makes sense as a guiding principle towards a solution for the series. And I feel that that's what we're trying to get to. Well, it just seems like apparently we're going to have to deal with some um, more violence and vengeance before we get there. I just, I don't want them to take their time in the last season. Please mm. don't take your time. Like, mm. whatever the point is that you're trying to make, freaking get to it. Yeah. And hurry up about it. Yeah, I, I understand. And lastly, while I really wanted Negan to die for a time, I definitely understand why he's not being killed yeah that makes sense to me i'm actually okay with it i'm okay with like civilization coming back to where it used to yeah. be law and all that yeah law and order yeah yeah all right well that's the latest season of the walking dead 
which uh, of course you can stream on demand. Lastly, we watched a quiet, Qu- place. a quiet Place. That's yes. right. Yes, we just saw A Quiet Place, which is directed by John Krasinski, starring him and Emily Blunt and Millicent Simmons, who is a deaf actress. I'm curious, did John Krasinski write this? He co-wrote this. For some reason, I had it in my head that this was his baby. He wrote it from beginning to end, but it looks like Brian Woods and Scott Beck had some feedback in and they they actually are the people who came up with the story anyway so uh in case you haven't seen the trailers something has happened everybody has to shut the fuck up (laughs) and be very 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 silent otherwise something will kill them yeah yeah and And we focus on a family in particular that's living in this we're focusing on a family she is the only deaf person Correct. In the family. Yes. And everyone else hears. Yes. So it's very interesting how they work with that because she can't hear any sounds that are happening. Yeah. So the film takes out ambient sound. Whenever we're focused on her. Whenever it's her perspective. And it's beautifully done. Yeah. And it's really interesting because... When we're when we're when the camera's on her, we're mm-hmm. with her. Yeah. And that is all that exists. Mm-hmm. And if she's among her family and her family is expressing terror or horror or whatever it is, um, and she sees it, God, what a terrifying thing to feel. Mm. Like you you're in your own world and you think, you know, everything's great, I'm I'm dealing with a craft here or whatever it is yeah and then <laughs> i am building a structure and you turn around and your family's faces just scream terror yeah 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 and yeah. oh yeah you're looking away for a moment and yeah. then you look up all of a sudden everybody's terrified of something and it could mean that you are a second away from death yeah yeah, yeah. so that was so interesting hmm. I love that part of it. I Actually, we're going to um, speak very vaguely in the next couple of minutes that we talk about this movie and not give away anything that's not in the trailer because we, we feel actually this is one of those movies where as much as you can, it's uh, quite enjoyable to go in cold. And I can speak to that having had a couple things that are revealed in the first 20 mm-hmm. minutes spoiled for me and wishing I didn't know before I went in. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to really tell you guys much, yeah. actually. Just that it's totally worth it going to go check it out. If you're like sensitive to horror, I think you're gonna. I think you're gonna be okay. There isn't really anything completely like gory happening in this film. Well, it's a PG thirteen mm-hmm. horror film, and it is an extremely effective horror film, even with that rating. It, it's it. You know, if you like the Rain and others. And those movies that are PG-13 horror from the last decade, I think this is one of the only films from this decade that is legitimately frightening and solid and just absolutely intense. I don't know why you have to bring up The Ring. Well, because it's it's a hallmark in, in this. Okay, thank you. But I think John Krasinski has really got something here that is just, just, just crackerjack filmmaking. It's... Every single aspect is solid. Great creature designs, really well set up, 
really good setups and payoffs, excellent pacing. All the characters evolve, each and every one of them. And they're very well performed. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, I mean, there's a kid actor that's a kid actor, you know, very like, you know, it, it doesn't do anything spectacular. But in particular, John Krasinski, Emily Blunt and Millicent Simmons are fantastic in this film. And they really hold the attention. Honestly, if there's little nits that you could pick in this film, I bought in full on into it. And so I never really was taken out to have many issues. There's little things like, why wouldn't you close a door? Things like that. Because it creaks. Maybe, maybe not. But you could certainly make it so it doesn't creak. At any rate, you know, little little tiny things. You have um, to spray something that makes a noise to make it not creak. Okay, but... Okay, so we're going down a rabbit hole of debating specifics. <laughs> Moving on. And I'm just saying, like, you could maybe have little nits to pick, but I really didn't have a whole lot. And so I highly recommend A Quiet Place. And it's one of the best films I've seen in 2018, for sure. So... That is our week in review. It's time for the main event, which is our summer movie preview. Now, here's the thing. (laughs) All right, so traditionally summer movie season starts with Memorial Day weekend, ends with Labor Day weekend, okay? There was a time when the summer movie season actually started in June, but that was so long ago, no one can even remember those ancient days. Some people are arguing, though, in recent times that summer movie season's creeping into further and further into the, the spring season. I say nuts to that, man. Summer movie season starts with Memorial Day weekend, ends with Labor Day weekend, and that's how we structure our summer movie preview. So what we do is we take it month by month, okay? And I run through what movies are coming out, any highlights of actors or directors in these movies, and we share what one to three movies from each month we are excited about before we move on to the next month, and and so on and so forth, okay? The idea is hopefully to create a little bit of buzz, maybe let you know about something that you haven't heard about yet that's really exciting, or, you know share in your excitement of some things you have heard about. So, Shanna, (laughs) I'm going to start us off by reading to you the movie releases starting Memorial Day weekend through June. And then you'll tell me what you're most excited about. Okay, here we go. On Memorial Day weekend, we have Solo, a Star Wars story, which is Alden Ehrenreich, which I hope I pronounced correctly, from that Coen Brothers movie a couple years ago. He becomes Han Solo as a young Han Solo, and uh, we learn about him as a young smuggler years before he met Luke and Leia and helped take down the Empire and his misadventures where he meets Chewbacca. This film was taken over by Ron Howard after Lord and Miller were Uh, fired. The Lego people, right? Lego Lego movie, yep. And they did a couple other Cloudy Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. I can't remember what their their live-action crossover was, but 
they've been awesome. So that stars Alden and Amelia Clark, Tandy Newton, and Woody Harrelson. Tandy. Thank you. Next, also that same weekend, is Mary Shelley. Al Fanning and Douglas Booth star in this dramatized account of the relationship between Percy B. Shelley and Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin, as well as the fateful night that led Mary to write Frankenstein. So that's Memorial Day weekend. Next, Friday, June 1st, we have Action Point, which is Johnny Knoxville's latest comedy full of physical humor <laughs> and pain and pratfalls. Basically, he stars as a young amusement park owner. It's kind of a down-on-the-dumps amusement park. He's trying to make it survive and exciting. Then we have Adrift, which stars Shailene Woodley, Sam Claflin. It is the true story of a young couple who set sail across the ocean together but find themselves marooned at sea after an unexpected encounter with a powerful hurricane. Oh, wow, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. American Animals also <laughs> opens that weekend. They also based on a true story. It's a crime drama following four friends who, struggling with life, inspired by heist movies, attempt to rob a college of its valuable private book collection. And lastly, Upgrade, which stars Logan Marshall Green as a guy who basically gets something implanted in him that turns him into a killing machine, more or less. Then, the following weekend, June 8th, Hereditary. This is the crowd-pleasing Sundance horror film starring Tony Collette about a woman who suspects her recently deceased mother is terrorizing her daughter from beyond the grave. Then we have Ocean's 8, which is basically the female spinoff of Ocean's 11 with Sandra Bullock, Kate Planchette, Anne Hathaway, Helena Bonham Carter, Rihanna... And that's directed by Gary Ross of The Hunger Games and Pleasantville. We also have Won't You Be My Neighbor, the documentary about Fred Rogers of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and Hotel Artemis, starring Jodie Foster, Sterling K. Brown, and Jeff Goldblum, which is a dystopian action film that revolves around a woman who runs a secret hospital for criminals. Then, June 15th is Incredibles 2, which needs no introduction, directed again by Brad Bird. We have Superfly, the remake of the 1972 film about a cocaine dealer trying to secure one last deal before leaving the business. Tag, which is a comedy with Ed Helms, Jake Johnson, Hannibal Burris, John Hamm, and Jeremy Renner. It's basically about a group of friends who played a lifelong game of tag. And Jeremy Renner has never been tagged. He looks like such a cocky shit every time people miss him. June 22nd is Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Needs no introduction, but it is directed by Juan Antonio Bayona. And then Boundaries is a comedy drama or kind of a road trip film with Vera Farmiga and Christopher Plummer about a single mother who's forced to drive her father from Seattle to Los Angeles after he's kicked out of his retirement home. Then we have the latest from David Robert Mitchell, who you may know from a couple years back, who made the fantastic horror film It Follows. 
His follow-up stars Andrew Garfield as a disillusioned man who meets a mysterious woman and then embarks on a search through Los Angeles to find her when she suddenly disappears. Lastly, in June, we have Sicario, Day of the Soldado, starring once again Benicio Del Toro and Josh Brolin, but also with Matthew Modine, and Uncle Drew, which is a basically a, a basketball comedy where people are kind of dressed up in old people makeup. Shanna, that was quite a mouthful, I'm sure, but... What films are you most looking forward to in that time period? I guess I'm looking forward to The Incredibles 2. I just saw their latest trailer for that, and that looked really fun. Yeah? (laughs) It shows the dad taking care of the kids. And I'm sorry, I still like to observe that fantasy and see a dad just completely and utterly at wit's end and exhausted from looking after the kids because guess what it's hard work if you're doing it all day Mm. and you're taking care of the home yeah the physical home space so i i really think that that's going to be fun there was even a joke of you know dash comes home and he says oh they changed math and (laughs) it's this argument that goes on for about i don't know 20 seconds which is fairly long in movie well animation world Mm. of how can they change math and like the father just gets really upset and annoyed and the the like dash poor dash he's just trying to say it's okay dad it's okay so it's just math it's okay (laughs) it's like his dad is so pissed (laughs) it's like i totally hear him so i'm looking forward to that i think it's a way of uniting parents and I don't think I've seen that trailer. That doesn't sound familiar. I to saw me, it today but... on Hulu. Uh, so okay. I didn't watch it intentionally without you, just so you know. And what else are you looking forward to most? I'm looking forward to Won't You Be My Neighbor. I mm. know nothing about this man. His show didn't come to South Africa, as far as I know. I don't right. think it was a South African thing. And if he was doing you know, the kinds of compassionate things that he was doing during the time of apartheid, I guess that wouldn't be let into the country in the first place. So Mm. uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing his story and how everyone around him felt about him. And, Mm. you know, I'm going to take my box of tissues and some chocolate and and everything will be fine. Yeah. First of all, I'll say that uh, Incredibles 2... It was always a a sequel idea that never interested me. I always thought The Incredibles was perfectly fine on its own. But if they were going to make an Incredibles 2, which they were, obviously, I I would hope that it would actually kind of take take place in at least half as many years later. And I'm, I'm a little disappointed that it seems to follow right after the first Incredibles. And so Baby Jack Jack is still Baby Jack Jack. So that made me less interested in it. And same thing with Sicario, Day of the Soldado or whatever. I saw the second trailer for it, and it kind of explained more about what it's about. And first of all, you don't even have Denis Villeneuve directing. But then on top of it, it seems to be this story where these two guys who work together or you know hired each other now... They're at odds, apparently, because Benicio Del Toro wants to protect a girl that he was supposed to kill. I don't know. It feels a little Logan-y. Uh, I'm not terribly sure if if I'm excited about that. But what I am excited about is just two movies in that time period. Won't You Be My Neighbor? I co-sign for sure. Just the, the trailer alone moves me almost to tears. So I'm sold 
pass me the Kleenex, and take my cash. And then also, Hotel Artemis intrigues me a little with that cast of Jodie Foster, who's now like an older Jodie Foster at this point, uh, Sterling K. Brown and Jeff Goldblum in some sort of a dystopian action film? Yeah, I'll check that out. I'm not familiar with Drew Pierce, the director, but I'm very intrigued by it. And Sophia Butella, who's... Eh, she's done all right. She could be good in this, too. So, let's move on to July. July starts off with Independence Day weekend. The first purge. Because... We all needed to learn how the purge came about in the first place, didn't we? For God's sake, what a load of tripe. Whoa, okay. <laughs> Moving on from that, very shortly after that, we have Ant-Man and the Wasp on the 6th, along with Sorry to Bother You. Of course, Ant-Man and the Wasp is the sequel to Ant-Man. It continues this three-film series that we have this year of Avengers movies. I think, it's, I think it ends with Ant-Man and the Wasp this year i think it won't be till next year after that that we have another movie this is of course directed by peyton reed who also directed the first ant-man and now we get to see evangeline lily as the wasp kicking ass i hope that she gets most of the screen time i really do we'll see sorry to bother you for those who aren't familiar stars tessa thompson and army hammer and terry cruz uh it's about a surreal social satire about a black telemarketer whose career is propelled by the fsse of his white voice next we have on july 13th hotel transylvania 3 summer vacation skyscraper which stars dwayne johnson and nev campbell out of retirement about building inspector framed for a crime he didn't commit blah 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 next we have don't worry he won't get far on foot which is gus van sant's latest film with joaquin phoenix and jonah hill rooney mara and jack black based on true events about a cartoonist who only discovered his talent when he became a quadriplegic after a drunk driving accident. Then we have a coming-of-age comedy called Eighth Grade, which stars Josh Hamilton, about a young teen, played by Elsie Fisher, trying to make the best of the last week of her eighth grade year. July 20th, we have The Equalizer 2, starring Denzel Washington, directed by Antoine Fuqua, once again, not really sure that we needed that one. Then we also, speaking of needless sequels, oh, I get a lot of emails for this one. Mama Mia, here we go again. I really don't want to go again. Yeah, didn't want to go the first time. <sighs> Meryl Streep, Pierce Brosnan, and Colin Firth, Stellan Skarsgård in a sequel to the musical comedy from 10 years ago. Can you believe it's been 10 years already? Fuck me. And then lastly, <laughs> July 27th. Mission Impossible Fallout, which is like, what, the sixth Mission Impossible film now? Also directed by Christopher McQuarrie, this time adding Henry Cavill to the list of stars. Teen Titans Go! to the movies. The cartoon series has its own movie about the Teen Titans searching for a director to helm their own movie, only to be set back by the plans of Slade. So a little bit of meta humor there. Then you have Hot Summer Nights starring Timothy Chalamet. In a coming-of-age drama about a young man who arrives in Cape Cod for the summer, starts selling weed, and falls in love with his business partner's sister, as you do. And lastly, Blind Spotting, which is a comedy about a man on probation who witnesses a police shooting. Hilarious stuff. 
Apparently, it addresses issues of race, class, and gentrification. So, Shanna, what movies are you looking forward to most in July? You know, I have a lot of mixed feelings about the films that are coming out this summer, particularly within this month. I am most looking forward to, I think out of all the summer movies, I'm most looking forward to the Mission Impossible movie. However, I do not need to see the trailer again. You guys sold me. I'm going. Just <laughs> leave it be now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like, guys, calm down. And it would be nice to watch this at the Cinerama in Seattle again. It's a really, really huge cinema screen. Yeah. And it's a really great experience. So yeah. I would totally fork out the extra cash to, to go there. Mm. And then the other film, like I have, I'm curious, is... Ant-Man and Wasp. You're just curious about it. I'm just curious. Interesting. Okay. Because I'm worried that it's like, okay, so yay, we have another female superhero. Yeah. But it's not her own film. And it's horribly sad and disappointing for me. Horribly sad? It is horribly sad because we've had Hmm. the introduction of Black Widow. We've had the introduction of Gamora. We've had the introduction of Scarlet Witch. Yeah. And they're just attached to all these men, and all these men have their own films. Scarlet Witch isn't attached to a man, but she's attached to a team. And as is Black Widow. You know, if we, for them to call the movie Ant-Man and Wasp, mm-hmm. I'm just... I am going to go into it hesitant. Oh, I boy. only am saying why I'm hesitant. Yeah. I don't know. I think... Honestly, I do agree with you. Like Ant-Man and Wasp and Mission Impossible Fallout are the most interesting movies coming out in July. And I actually don't say that with any reluctance whatsoever. I have learned after 18, 19 movies not to be reluctant about what Marvel's doing and to be excited and to realize that even if you haven't seen much about a particular movie... It's probably going to be really good. I think Thor Ragnarok really taught us that lesson, which I remember being reluctant about last last year. So, and even Black Panther too, but uh, and, and both of those films were were awesome. So I'm looking forward to Ant Man and the Wasp. The trailer to Mission Impossible Fallout completely sold me the first time. This movie looks like it's going to be way more brutal. The punches are going to f- be felt more. Everything's just going to be more intense it's just going to hit harder and so i think that's interesting and a bit exciting and the mission impossible series hasn't failed me yet after mission impossible 2 so i'm very excited about those two as well and honestly july is kind of full of a lot of unnecessary sequels barring those two films so shanna here's what we have for the last month of the summer season august august 3rd We start with Darkest Minds, which is based on a young adult novel. It's a sci-fi fantasy, once again, about a group of teens, once again, with superhuman powers on the run from a government after a plague has killed off the majority of the country's children. This one is actually directed by Jennifer Yun Nelson, who you may know from the Kung Fu Panda movies, uh, which is very cool to see that she is getting a live-action film she's directing, and it uh, co-stars Mandy Moore. Christopher Robin also opens That Weekend, which is a CGI live-action film starring Ian McGregor, Chris O'Dowd, Haley Atwell, and Jim Cummings voices Winnie the Pooh. It's basically a 
about Christopher Robin being all grown up, he needs a little nudge from a, uh, from a certain honey-loving bear to rekindle the spirit of his youth. It's directed by Mark Forster, who I feel is kind of a hit-and-miss director, but he's made some pretty darn good dramas from time to time. Uh, like I think he did Monsters Ball in 2001. Next, we have Mile 22, Peter Berg, Mark Wahlberg, once again, teaming up for an action film. It's about an intelligence operative attempting to smuggle a high-value target out of the country. Then we have Searching, which is John Cho and Deborah Messing in a thriller about a desperate father trying to locate his missing daughter by following clues discovered in her laptop with the help of a local detective. Then, lastly, that weekend, which is a big weekend for movies, I suppose, The Spy Who Dumped Me, a comedy, an action comedy starring Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon about a pair of best friends who find themselves in the middle of a life-or-death conspiracy when one of their exes suddenly appears with assassins on his trail. In August 10th, we have AXL, another sci-fi adventure film about a teenager who discovers and befriends a state-of-the-art artificial intelligence in the form of a dog and attempts to help keep it safe from evil scientists. Then you have Dog Days, which is directed by Ken Marino, which is an ensemble comedy that has Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things, Ava Longoria, Nina Dobrev, and Vanessa Hudgens. It's basically about these dog owners in L.A. whose lives begin to intertwine and impact each other in unexpected ways. And The Meg. It's Jason Statham against a giant shark. Then you have August 17th with Captive State. Directed by Rupert Wyatt, who I believe was the guy who did the Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I'm going to double check that. But this stars John Goodman and Vera Farmiga is a sci-fi thriller. I am correct. Uh, Rupert Wyatt did direct Rise of the Planet of the Apes. So this explores the impact on the lives of people living in a Chicago neighborhood that was occupied by alien forces a decade earlier. Then we have Crazy Rich Asians, which has actually been highly anticipated. It's a comedy with an all-Asian cast directed by John Chu, starring Constance Wu and Michelle Yeoh and Ken Yeon about a woman who accompanies her boyfriend back to Singapore, only to discover he comes from an ultra-wealthy family, and he's one of the country's most eligible bachelors. Then we have The Happy Time Murders with Melissa McCarthy and Elizabeth Banks. Kind of a noirish comedy about a human cop and a puppet detective who must work together to solve the serial murders of the cast of a popular 80s children's show. That also stars Maya Rudolph and Joel McHale. Then we have Three Seconds which stars Joel Kinnaman, Rosamund Pike, Clive Owen, and Ana de Armas, who I believe was in Blade Runner 2049, if I'm not mistaken. This is a crime thriller about a former soldier and criminal who re-enters prison undercover for the FBI and risks being outed when a drug deal goes wrong. And we have White Boy Rick, starring Matthew McConaughey and Jennifer Jason Leigh. It's about a true story about a young man during the 80s crack epidemic who became a police informant for detroit police and then unceremoniously sentenced him to life in prison we have august 24th replicas starring alice eve and keanu reeves it's another sci-fi thriller man this summer is full of sci-fi thrillers about a man who becomes obsessed with bringing his family back any way possible after they are killed 
in a car accident. Then we have the horror film Slender Man, based on the legend. A supernatural film follows a group of girls who attempt to debunk the existence of the specter, but suspect they might be wrong when one of them goes missing. And August ends with Kin, which stars James Franco and Zoe Kravitz and Dennis Quaid. It's another sci-fi action film about a pair of brothers who are forced to go on the run by a vengeful criminal with only a mysterious weapon of unknown origins at their disposal. So that caps off the summer. Shanna, what are you looking forward to most? I am looking forward to Christopher Robin. I'm also going to bring a box of tissues to that because I think you and I got a little choked up just when Winnie the Pooh just touched yeah. his face. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's like, oh, just a little <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it yeah. Was like, oh, my God, we're going to die. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to that. I'm very curious because, mm. you know, as adults, you always wonder. Um, how can you re-spark your imagination or how can you re-spark a you know like a zest for life yeah yeah so i'm looking forward to that and then the spy who has milikunas the spy who dumped me <laughs> i actually was not looking forward to a lot in this particular month but then you yeah. you know you told me about the spy who dumped me and i'm like i'm interested in anything milikunas wants to do Right, especially when it's with Kate McKinnon, right? Yeah, I think yeah. that that's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, I, I feel like Kate McKinnon was really trying hard in Rough Night, and maybe she was one of the highlights in that movie. I'm really hoping this movie right, is not another Rough Night situation, which which was a really rough experience. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, <laughs> I, I can't believe how in lockstep we are with July and August. Yes, Christopher Robin. Oh, fancy I, that. I was sold by that trailer. Very touching trailer. We'll be inter- it'll be interesting to see whether or not the premise actually mm-hmm. um, is well executed. But that trailer alone won me over. The Spy Who Dumped Me, I haven't seen a trailer for that or anything, but the premise really, I'm on board. My, Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon, yes. Sign me up. But also, and on that same note, I, I, I wasn't really interested in anything until as I was reading The Happy Time Murders, you got Melissa McCarthy and Elizabeth Banks with Maya Rudolph and Joel McHale, and it involves, like, a puppet detective? Oh, yeah. No, I'm interested in that, too. Yeah. And it's directed by Brian Henson, by the way, son of Jim Henson. So I never heard of that movie until I just read it aloud and that premise alone kind of has sold me. So I, I'm I'm very in, intrigued by that. But yeah, Shanna, you know, just to wrap up our summer movie preview here, I know that previously we had a couple X-Men movies to look forward to, and those both got delayed to next year. I know an entire summer cannot be predicated upon two movies and its quality, but it seems to me this is this summer is kind of a lackluster summer. There's very little to look forward to, right? I cannot tell you how displeased I am and uninspired and bored I am with the movies that, all the movies that are coming out. 
if I think about how I felt about summer last year, mm-hmm. I was really excited. I yeah. had something to look forward to practically every other weekend. Or yeah, at it was actually rough month. for us in July, right? Because we had something every single weekend in yeah. July. It's hard to keep up. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm horribly upset, actually. Horribly um, upset. I really am. My wife's and so dramatic. It's yeah. just. I guess I'm just going to have to like rent stuff or something to kind of fill the void that otherwise would have been, you know, nourished. How well, about you? How are you feeling? Yeah. Well, exactly what I was saying. Absolutely. It'll be interesting to see what our schedule maps out to be for our episode. It's it's pretty rough, guys. It's pretty rough. I mean, I'm not I wasn't really sold on the Jurassic World trailers. I, I wasn't really sold on most of the trailers. Even, I, we are unabashed Star Wars fans, and I'm not excited about Solo. Am I alone in that as a Star Wars fan? Are any Star Wars fans, like, really excited about Solo like they were all the other Star Wars movies? I don't know. Ocean's 8 just really doesn't interest me at all. All the big tentpole movies, I think, are really lacking, except for the Marvel films and a couple, uh, a couple exceptions. So we'll see how it uh, shapes up. But that is our summer movie preview. What movies are you looking forward to most this summer? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Now, Shanna, it is time for Film Faves. So, for those of you who are not familiar, Film Faves is a segment we do every week, or every episode, that is inspired by a piece that I did on the Gibson Review blog, where I've come up with a list of 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, usually marching back through time. The purpose of this segment for you on this podcast is to expose you, hopefully, to things that you may not have heard of or seen yet and also give us give you a sense of our tastes in movies but also to the point of exposing you to different films we try to guide you and let you know where these films are available to stream on netflix hbo hulu and amazon prime now in this particular episode we're doing something we haven't done before which is kind of like a encapsulation of a decade we just completed going through we just went through all the aughts the 2000s if you will however you want to call them so what we did was we compiled our respective list of our favorite films from that decade but you might think oh it's just going to be their number ones right no we threw in an extra wrinkle to make things extra challenging for us in this list We only included movies that are available to stream right now on those services. I think Jeff did it to, like, anger me or challenge me. I'm not really sure. Well, definitely not anger. You don't want to be around when, um, Shanna's angry. She's, I mean, like a little She-Hulk. But challenge, yeah, maybe. I think it it, it was a good challenge for both of us because a lot of movies that I, I expected to be on the list did not make it to the list. Oh, uh, Shanna, why don't you start out by telling me a little bit about your list, the makeup of the list. Was there? Did you notice any years that dom- ended up dominating your list over other years? Yeah, it appears that 2009 was pretty popular with about, uh, I'm just looking really briefly here, there's maybe about four films, maybe three. And then they're kind of all spread out. There's two from 2004 and 
No, sorry, there's three. So, yeah, it's kind of... Man. There's a few gap years, though. Oh, is it? It would appear. There's nothing from 2006. Oh. And I don't think think that there's anything from 2008. Well, I I am shocked. I am truly shocked. We are almost 100% in sync. I'm curious if our lists are going to be identical. Because, yes, 2009 was the year of the decade for me as well. With three or four movies on the list being from that year. I also didn't end up having a pick from 2006, as well as the year 2000, I believe. The rest was mostly like one or two here and there. Uh, So it's quite fascinating. And also, interestingly enough, Netflix has a good chunk of my movies, my picks this month. How about uh, for you? Was there a streaming service that dominated um, your collection? It looks like it's fairly even. Oh, well, even good for you. Evenly dispersed between HBO, Hulu, and Netflix. Okay, cool. Well, why don't you start us off with your number 12? My number 12 is Mr. Nobody, starring Jared Leto, a 2009 film. It's available on Netflix. And I came across this film maybe a year ago. I think I had mentioned it in a past podcast Yeah, episode. I remember us talking about it, yeah. Yeah, it's like a sci-fi, it's, it's a sci-fi, you know, reflection of time and alternative ways, you know, that his, this particular person, this particular character's life could have gone. Mm. He's 118 when we see him and he is being interviewed by someone about because he's about he's the first person that's going to die in years because they figured out how to live forever oh fascinating and so he wants to know you know what did you think of life what were what were your favorite things what are you regretting that you're going to die blah 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 and it's all about how his life could have gone xyz way if he married person a if he married person b this is what happened if he married person c this is what would happen and he figures out what the choice should have been and it's just a really neat film i almost spoiled the end Mm. (laughs) but just go ahead and watch it because for the time travel people this is really fun I remember being really intrigued by that picture, and I still haven't seen it yet. It's like a better version of the butterfly effect. The butterfly effect ah. had this interesting concept, yeah. but it like execution sucked. I heard it was pretty terrible, and I, did, I haven't seen that yet either. My number 12 is on HBO now, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. My second favorite Harry Potter film, arguably the most significant chapter of the Harry Potter series... And, of course, Chris Columbus's best film, uh, best contribution to the series, even though, yes, it is three hours long. Those books are thick, guys. They're, they're thick, you know? <laughs> and this thing really needed to be as long as possible to fit in as much as possible because it all set up so much that got paid off in the end. And I absolutely love it. This thing's badass. In ways I didn't think a a family fantasy series could be badass. And yeah, I love it. It's my number 12 pick. What's your number 11, Shanna? My number 11 is Time Crimes. Oh, so good. (laughs) From 2007, and it's available on Hulu. This is a Spanish film. So it's really nice. It's at a good pace. Mm. So... You know, I was trying to keep up with the Bollywood subtitles last night and I couldn't Mm. keep up. So 
and I'm usually a really good subtitle reader so you're not going to run into that with this film it's really interesting it's it's a it's a, a tightly woven time travel thriller right yeah and this person comes across a science a science uh, laboratory and he realizes that time travel is possible in this laboratory and he has to try and piece together what happened at the original event that led him there mm-hmm. and it's really fascinating and you think it's going to end this way because you know you're a time travel fan like me and it doesn't end that way so it's really exciting yeah that's an awesome pick that is such an awesome pick oh and where is time crimes by the way so time crimes is available on hulu my number 11 is tropic thunder which is available i love that film netflix see i'm actually glad i showed you that movie Mm -hmm. it's hilarious right it's even more hilarious if you've seen movies like platoon or stanley kubrick's film full metal jacket you know <laughs> and also of course you have the hollywood satire aspect of it when well, i Everybody. think this is a good film for anyone who's not into war films like well you you mean in the sense that it's tolerable yeah you know, that's what i think yeah. yeah but it, it, if you are well versed in vietnam war films in particular you're going to appreciate this film even more plus everybody is just at their comedic best in this film, including Robert Downey Jr., Matthew McConaughey, and Tom Cruise, who is playing a version of Harvey Weinstein. And you can totally see it (laughs) now, especially knowing everything about Harvey. I appreciate Tom Cruise so much (laughs) for his level of commitment to that character. Oh my God, it's nuts, right? Yeah, so Tropic Thunder is my number 11 brilliant film from 2008 on netflix what's your number 10 shanna my number 10 is district b13 and that's the french film also with subtitles (laughs) and it's a it's from 2004 and it's available on hulu but it's essentially like this was like the first mainstream exposure to i want to say pod jumping parkour you're talking about thank you parkour i mean in the international market, for the American market, it was really Casino Royale a couple oh, okay. years later that did it. But this starred David Bell, who was the dude. Oh, my gosh. They were so brilliant in this. And, you know, I grew up watching a lot of Jackie Chan films. Oh. And I would always sit and watch the outtakes uh, where yeah. Jackie Chan would, you know, it didn't come out quite right. And sometimes he'd be so injured. Yeah. And I was looking at this. And you know what? They don't show you the outtakes at the end. Uh, and I wonder if that's because it would just be a little too gruesome. But this yeah. is a really good film. This is a dystopian future. And there's segregation, but not what we usually get. Right. It's based on class. Class. Not, not race. Yeah. Not race. It's in Italy. Or not in Italy. It's, it's in, in France. France. <laughs> so, you know, that's why. That's awesome. I'm so glad that you enjoyed that film that much. Uh, my number 10 is Waitress from 2007 on HBO now, starring Carrie Russell and Nathan Fillion, uh, directed by Adrian Shelley, who um, unfortunately was murdered in post-production. But, you know, it just makes her performance all the sweeter for it because she has the romantic subplot. Uh, Carrie Russell has the main plot being a woman in a horribly abusive relationship, very controlling man, She's pregnant, thanks to this dude, and she's not really thrilled about it. 
understandably, but it's something that you just do not see female characters express in film. And I think it's really notable because of that. Yet, and, and yet, despite that, it still ends up being a very sweet film. So uh, that's Waitress. I think more people should know about this movie, and you can check it out on HBO. I almost watched that yesterday. Mm, yeah? Mm-hmm. But then I started watching Kindergarten Cop instead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I'll, maybe I'll get to that one too this week. My number nine is Holes. This is the... 2003 film it's available on hbo to stream this movie stars shia labeouf and cleo thomas and uh sigourney weaver is in it as well and oh, yeah. patricia arquette is there too oh, really? she was a fun surprise huh. not a spoiler but a surprise <laughs> i'm just gonna make that very Whoops. clear so anyway shia labeouf is accused of something and he is sent to this sort of juvenile oh god i can't it's like even a prison it's like a prison like, yeah, yeah. And Cleo Thomas is there too, and they kind of have a connection, and they're forced to dig holes. And that's supposed to appear to be, oh, this is the way that we discipline them, it teaches right. several skills, blah, blah, blah. You know, if I ever found out that this is where my child ended up, I'd be more than hella pissed. So it's really a fun boy film, mm. I feel. And, you know, you have a couple of crazy characters and Sigourney Weaver is just so weird in this film it's just bizarre to me but I was always okay watching this with one of my nanny families the children if they said they wanted to watch this for the 10th time that week I was fine with it so that's one of my favorites and that is a Disney film actually based on the Lois Sachar book which I, I read it wasn't wasn't too bad but mm. very very much of a, for a certain demographic for sure yeah and it has it's a really good story yeah. my number nine is a film that I accidentally omitted I did actually have two films on my list when I first made my list that were accidentally omitted when I originally did the film faves for that episode for their respective episodes and one of them was going to be in America I was going to give it its due that's really funny this happened to me too with my number eight really it was going to be on hbo and then it got removed from hbo but the one that remains on my list at number uh nine is let the right one in which is on hulu what yeah god i love that movie yeah so this is the film that cinephiles flipped over and near the end of the decade when they finally got to see it it was I keep saying this, but it's, it's, you know, in some ways it's kind of one of the biggest hooks. It's the anti-Twilight, you know? It's, it's youth, friendship, or befriending vampire film. And uh, I'll give that much away of the film. It's, it's Swedish. We're really hitting the foreign films, which is pretty awesome. I guess we had a really great decade that decade for foreign films. And Let the Right One In is definitely no disappointment. It was remade a couple years later by matt reeves as let me in with chloe moretz matt reeves who went on to make the awesome planet of the apes movies which are far better let the right one in is uh, worth seeking out on hulu that one's also got the subtitles right because it's a swedish <laughs> film but yeah. it is it is 
was a, so uh, beautiful, an so incredible fun. film, incredible film. And when the violence comes, it comes hard, and it's quite a contrast to the rest of the film. But uh, yeah, let the right one in. If you have not seen it, do so. What's uh, number eight for you? My number eight is Hot Fuzz, and oh. it was going to be Real Women Have Curves, but we're going to oh. go with Hot did Fuzz. Did that get removed from HBO? It was oh, so annoying. <laughs> and it was totally worth watching, too. But yeah. moving along, Hot Fuzz is a 2007 film. It's available on Netflix to stream. So I am totally in love with Simon Pegg. I mean, everything he's in, he's just really freaking funny. Mm. And something that he's really good at is like you always see his essence, you know, so he'll always be whatever character he needs to be. But you see him as well. I, You know, sometimes there's some actors out there where you like Liam Neeson. I just feel like, you know, he's kind of typecast, but I always see his character. I never really see him, okay. except in Love Actually, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so with Simon Pegg, he can be in anything, and I'll be like, I see right through you, dude. <laughs> and it's really fun. But this film is a, about um, Simon Pegg, who's a London police officer, and he's really committed to the job. I mean... That is a passionate man right there. Yeah. And it's it's a bit much for the police uh, well, it, it's, for them to handle. I mean, yeah, he's it, just really committed to the job. Yeah, it, it's Edgar Wright's love letter to buddy cop action films. Well, then he gets transferred to a small town. Yeah. And it's so funny because he's so tense because mm-hmm. he's used to being in London yeah. and now he's in this small town where like the most that happens is the ducks go missing or something. <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they do have some sort of dark secret and he knows that they have a dark secret and he tries to figure it out and yeah. hit the friend that he gets, well, the partner he gets given is... Nick Frost. Like, yeah, Nick Frost has never seen any action He's just dying to see something that's any right. like iota of what Simon Pegg has dealt with, and uh, it's just it's a really fun film. It's like a very good like brotherhood kind of film. Really briefly, uh, Simon Pegg had a hell of a decade that decade because he had God, he was on fire. He had Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Mission Impossible series, and Star Trek was in two thousand nine, and he he just was uh, just skyrocketing that decade unfortunately he did not make my list but i'm glad that he made it onto your list through hot fuzz my number eight is king kong from 2005 on netflix by peter jackson a three-hour epic remake with jack black and naomi watts and of course andy circus i i absolutely love this movie i i um I think, you know, and I'm a fan of the original, and I think that what's important about this film is it doesn't replace the original. A lot of of concerns about remaking classic films is it's trying to replace it in some way, right? And I think, you know, there's a counter-argument there, but in this case, Peter Jackson's trying to give kind of like a a warm hug a big wet kiss and a a lovingly homage so to speak to the original and not not try to replace it Um, not to outdo it even though it is a three-hour epic that literally spends an hour per set piece but it is beautiful it is just jaw-dropping it is a spectacle of the the modern sense and it is just 
awesome. I honestly think like it's really hard to 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 do another King Kong movie and be as good. So that's my number eight, King Kong on Netflix. What's number seven for you? My number seven is 13 going on 30, the 2004 film available on Netflix. It's been on Netflix forever, and I just, please don't take it away. Um, that was my number 13 pick. Oh, how cute. Did you arrange that 30. accordingly? No. <laughs> so I, I love this film, especially being 30 this past year. Oh, I mean, yeah, right? It's, it's, you know, you're still trying to figure out where the hell you're going in life, and 30 is where you really start to figure it out Mm. um and it's it's just such a neat notion that this 13 year old makes a wish she wishes to be 30 years old on her birthday and the next morning she wakes up and she is in a 30 year old's body and Mm. there's even a man that's in the bed next to her that she obviously was with the night before and she's like i want my i'm gonna call my mom (laughs) where's my mom and so it's just really fun to see like, if your 13-year-old self had to wake up in your 30-year-old self's body, like, how horrified would they be? And it's not only that kind of, like, oh, my God, I just grew up sexually. It's also, like, oh, my God, my best friend isn't my best friend anymore. What the hell happened? So uh, yeah, there's yeah. all these different levels of things happening. It looks like a cutesy, fun, fluffy film. It mostly is. But, well, it, it's, it's given to us in that kind of packaging. But there yeah. are things that get genuinely addressed there and it would be a great film to watch with you know your daughter or even your son and, and discuss those things even yeah. andy circus is in this oh yes that's god right. he's yeah. so fun yeah he's i just fun. love that man so much as yeah. much as i love simon pig and jennifer gardner was never better i really liked her in that mm-hmm. my number seven is moon directed uh by duncan jones it's, I believe, his first film, if I'm not mistaken, starring Sam Rockwell. The sci-fi film that is really best left going in cold. I'll just say it does take place in space. And Sam Rockwell plays a guy who's completing his mission until he discovers something that rocks his world. And the, the whole film's about that discovery. This is a, a small, quiet little sci-fi film that really... Again, cinephiles went nuts over. I don't think it made a huge splash in the mainstream. Didn't this make Criterion? Oh, no. God, that would be a good pick, though. It's definitely worth discovering, which you can do on Netflix, especially if you want to see Academy Award-winning Sam Rockwell in one of his best career performances. Shanna, what is your number six? My number six was going to be Aaron Brockovich. Uh-huh. Uh, but that went off of HBO. Right. And so now it is Prisoner of Azkaban 2004. HBO is where you will find it. Again, there, <laughs> there's time travel in this movie too. There's a lot of time travel in my picks here. I'm actually going to tally it up. It is one of and, your favorite things, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to tally it up and, and reveal the, the total at the end. <laughs> but this was, you know, the third book the third film in the franchise it was my favorite book it is my favorite film out of the franchise Mm. i still don't understand why the second one is your favorite so i feel like i need to go back and watch them again and or go back and listen to the episodes in which i talk about the film no i hear you talking (laughs) i hear you talking that's not the problem (laughs) but anyway this is my favorite there's time travel in it there's Mm. i mean 
Malfoy gets punched in the nose from Hermione. Yeah. Finally, someone puts him in his place. Hermione kicks ass in that Oh, movie. God, she's so cool. Yeah, I love her. And so smart, too. Yeah. What is yours? My number six film is Inglorious Bastards on Netflix, which I think is... A- That's so low. Yep. <laughs> it's a movie that you and I connect on pretty strongly. It's Okay, because this is the Movie Lovers podcast. Yeah. I'm going to share. Okay. Okay. So Jeff and I had just met, and we were just passing emails, and we decided we were going to continue to see each other. Mm. And I think you asked, you know, like, oh, what movies are you, like, hungry for right now? And I was like, I really am craving glorious bastards like mm. i really am craving that film and that's when jeff was like oh my <laughs> so yeah 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 it, it is uh quentin tarantino's masterpiece and is not it's it, it's definitely not a date movie typically let's just put oh it God, that way. it's my kind of date movie <laughs> and that's why we're married and that's that's inglorious bastards which is now on netflix my number six we've hit the halfway mark shannon let's bring it on home the home stretch here with number five so it looks like I only have four time travel movies. Darn. Anyway. It's <laughs> a quarter of would, list. I thought there would be more. Maybe I missed something. My number five is Star Trek from 2009. It was the, the are we calling it a reboot? Uh, sure. Although, a reboot? although technically it acts as a sequel because old <gasps> Spock does Could go we? back in time. He ah, just, it's time travel. I have five time travel films. Rest- yeah, it is time travel. Yeah, he just restructures time inadvertently. Yeah. Oh, God. So sexy. So anyway, that's available on Hulu. This was actually my first exposure to Star Trek. Oh, wow. That's you telling. Know, that's interesting. Given that, I, given that I was in South Africa and, you know, to me at first it was kind of as big as Doctor Who. It was just there was so much and I didn't know where to start. And then when uh, this came out, I was like, oh, I can, I can start here. Mm. This will be great. And it was yeah. so freaking shiny. And there was flair <laughs> everywhere. And I was studying photography. I think I was in my second or third year of photography. And so it was really cool. It was really inspiring for mm. me, the film work. And now we know every time we see some flair, we know it's J.J. Abrams. Yeah. You actually, uh, that's right, because you ended up watching Star Trek Wrath of Khan, Star Trek 2, 3, and, and half of 4, with me later on Mm -hmm. you gotta see the original right and uh, i think you still ended up preferring the the new stuff i do but i do like the one with patrick stewart oh yeah first contact which technically was like number six or seven no it was number seven i really like that one and for those star trek fans the the mopop in seattle still has the star trek exhibit but it's closing Ah. so go check it out it's really fun my number five is Up in the Air by Netflix. This is a movie I really, really need to revisit. It's it's from 2009 as well. It's George Clooney. It's Jason Reitman. A couple of years after Juno, George Clooney stars as a guy whose job it is to, uh, to fire people. He gets hired by companies to fire people, essentially. Vera Farmiga is the love interest. Anna Kendrick plays the uh, young whippersnapper who's got the new fresh ideas of how to do this efficiently and ironically threatens George Clooney's job. Very interesting, very smart in a time where people were losing their jobs left and right due to the recession. It's just a a really well done. I think it might actually be Jason Reitman's best movie so far. 
and I think, unless I'm forgetting something, I don't think he's made anything as good since. Although we'll find out about Tolly, pairs him back up with Diablo Cody this sum this month. In yes, next this month? month. It doesn't yeah. count in our little summer thing that you have us going on. Yeah, so <laughs> that's number five for me on Netflix, Up in the Air. What's number four for you? My number four is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. This mm. is brilliantly British and funny. It is based on the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and it is described as mere seconds before the Earth is demolished by an alien construction crew. And that should tell you that this is going to be funny. <laughs> Arthur is swept off the planet by his friend Ford. And he Ford is a researcher creating The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And this is just... I remember watching this film with my brother. We were really into sci-fi stuff. And there was very few sci-fi things at least coming through to South Africa. And we heard about this film. We had to go to a special cinema that we never used to go to to watch it. And the first, I think, 10 minutes, dolphins start singing. Mm. And my brother and I were laughing hysterically because we just thought this is going to be great. Who came up with this? Two people walked out of the theater. So (laughs) I don't know if it was because of our laughing or because of how bizarre the film was. So I and that actually has time travel in it, too, technically. Time Mm. fixes it. A very, very fun movie. Almost made it onto my list. I enjoy that quite a bit as a fan of the book myself, too. Uh, And I don't know if I said, but that's on HBO. Excellent. That was a good pick. My number four is Forgetting Sarah Marshall on Netflix. My favorite comedy, apparently, of the decade based on this list. Because it's hilarious. Every member of the cast is hilarious. Jason Siegel is awesome. Kristen Bell is at her just most callous and bitchiest and most vacuous. Russell Brand, this was my first exposure to that comedian who, unfortunately, in my opinion, you don't see anymore. I think, <laughs> actually, I can probably denote it as as soon as he broke up with Katy Perry, you never heard from the guy again. But uh, also, Mila Kunis. That's what you get when you break Katy Perry's heart. Yeah, you bastard. <laughs> but Katie, but Mila Kunis, <laughs> Mila Kunis is also in this film. Hello, we got both of our crushes in this movie. Yeah, I, I do have and, a crush on both of those mm, girls. We have taste, but they're also hilarious and great and incredibly appealing all around. Jonah Hill is absolutely pathetic but hilarious in this film as well. This movie makes me laugh every time i see it i i don't think i ever get tired of it and it's spinoff get into the greek which happened a couple years later also surprisingly hilarious film i've um, never seen that one. Oh, dude we is got that available to stream well we own it oh okay well, so we, we don't have to worry about that so yeah what's your third favorite film of the decade is Amelie, the French uh, film. Of course two, it is. From 2001. It's available on Hulu. It's enchanting. I listen to the soundtrack on repeat. This is the French romantic comedy film by Jean-Pierre Jeunet. It's, you know, it's all about a girl who's pretty shy. She's a waitress and she has decided to do what she can to change the lives of people around her. Um, and she even goes on a little mission to find someone to help change their life. That's what she's the, the the event that I'm talking about. That's what inspires her to go on this journey. And just all oh, the cinematography is so cool too. So 
go check it out. It's totally worth it. My third favorite film of the decade is Donnie Darko, which I highly regard. Of course, there's only a couple episodes that we talked about of 2001 Picks. I think this film is an incredible Cinderella story of rising from the ashes of national tragedy to become a massive cult classic. Very few films you can actually claim survived a national tragedy. And, and, and it helps that this film is actually incredibly well constructed, incredibly well cast, incredibly well acted. It is a head scratcher on the level of 2001 A Space Odyssey. It is that generation's film. I said it. Yes, it is that generation's 2001 Space Odyssey. It is that good. Of a uh, film. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you can catch up with it on Netflix. What's your second favorite film of the decade? My second favorite film is Kill Bill. Well, let's talk about this because it is my second favorite film oh, as fuck, well. Oh, fuck, we're so awesome. <laughs> Available on Netflix from 2003 mm-hmm. and 2004 because the film was split in half, released six months apart. Go. That pissed me off. <laughs> I was like, I need to see what's going to happen next. You know, this is the, the film where the character Uma Thurman, she is the bride and she is in a coma for four years. She wakes up, she realizes, you know, things have happened to her. She's in a particular situation. She's actually a hitman. That's her career. And an assassin. Right? assassin oh, I'm so sorry. An which assassin. is mildly different. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. She's an assassin. And why would you fuck with an assassin and not make sure they're dead? What is wrong with you? (laughs) You know, you're going to fuck with that. You kill them. You make sure they're dead, dead, dead. Well, she goes on a lovely revenge. This was my first exposure to Quentin Tarantino as well. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. This was my first one. I thought Reservoir Dogs was. Oh, no. No, no, no. This was my first one, and I think that's a lovely exposure to to, to meet Quentin Tarantino's sweet revenge films. Mm Mm-hmm. The choreography is amazing. I especially love when she tells someone who's working for a particular mafia family, you know, he's maybe 15, and she looks at him, and she grabs him and pulls him over her knee, and she spanks him with her sword and says, this is what you get when you mess around with this group. Go home to your mother. (laughs) That is one of your favorite moments. God, it's fantastic. Okay, so why don't you tell me what you think? Yeah, I, I mean, this is another movie I, I got to revisit. I, I almost, I'm also itching to see rewatch uh, Pulp Fiction too. I think those two are my favorite uh, Quentin Tarantino movies: Kill Bill and Pulp Fiction. This thing is a hodgepodge, uh, a giant love letter to Asian cinema of all of all kinds. I mean, you got you you have anime, you have the revenge films like Lady Snowblood in there with the spouting blood. You have, I don't know, just uh, countless references that even I'm not able to catch because QT's mind is just so obscure, you know? And just kind of, these references just flow from him. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it's it's just an awesome, amazing, incredible epic. The first half, of course, is all action all the time. It really establishes the bride as a badass. The second half get, digs deeper, and I love that you get character along with the action. It's uh, not just all superficial blood and gore. It's a great film. And that's why it's my second favorite 
of the decade. Shanna, what is your favorite film of the decade? You want to know my favorite? My yeah. ultimate favorite? Yeah, I do. My number one is Inglorious Bastards. I should not be surprised. <laughs> and that is fascinating. So your, your, two, your two favorite movies of the decade are made by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. I guess they are. I miss <laughs> the man terribly. <laughs> Where is the rest of his work? <laughs> well, you had uh, the Hateful Eight two years ago. Was it 2016? Yeah, two years ago. Hmm. It's, where has he been? Please come back. Please don't leave. <laughs> it's like, I enjoy you so much. I, I love this film for so many different reasons. I, I love how the story is told, all these different characters. It's all going to be interwoven at the end and how they come together is just fascinating christoph waltz is just absolutely terrifying i will watch anything that man is in you know when i saw that brad pitt was in this in a quentin tarantino film i was kind of peeved i was like why are you putting him in your film Hmm. Uh, like do you just need a pretty face and then i realized his face didn't look so pretty it was like right scarred or something from the wall yeah he has a a scar across his neck Mm -hmm. yeah and i was like well okay i'm not gonna I'm going to not be too angry. And, you know, I go in and I watch all of this unfold. And there's just so many wonderful talents in this film. And what a fun fantasy of how World War II could have gone. The end of World War II could have gone. Say no more, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it's definitely that. That's for sure. Well, and it just... that The first scene Mm -hmm. is amazing. Um... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everything is great. Yes. The cinematography, the, the lighting, just, the film yeah. work, the it's all amazing. Um yes. the first time I watched it I did get dizzy because mm. there was you know there's one long shot, uncut long shot and there was just so many like red banners with swastikas and it just made me <laughs> like it just made me really like dizzy. I had mm. to like take a, a moment. But that's how intense this film is for me and it, that's how much I love it. What is your number one? Uh, my number one had to be, unquestionably, when it got right down to it, <laughs> 500 Days of Summer from of 2009. Course it is. <laughs> by Mark Webb, available now on HBO Now, starring Joseph Gordon Levitt and Zoe Deschanel. She's also in Hitchhiker's Guide of the Galaxy. I didn't mention that. Uh, this film is better. <laughs> This film is actually my generation's Annie Hall. I really believe that. And, mm. and um, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn too much by, by claiming that. Maybe saying that is driven by a sequence that mirrors or definitely reminds one of a sequence in Annie Hall. But uh, this is just a tremendous anti-romantic comedy about love and how when you're young love can really blind your perspective you know this this of course this film's greatest hat trick is the different perspectives that's shown and uh it's quite revealing it it definitely puts things into question and even the ending makes you wonder how much is going to change after after the, the the credits roll and it's beautiful it's hilarious Zoe Deschanel is definitely like everything in this movie. It's very easy to crush on her in this film. She's, uh, but maybe she's just very appealing to a particular type. I don't know. Um, I'm definitely that type, if that's the case. 
but Joseph also is is awesome. He's just awesome. He he, you know, he's able to convey these emotions in so much as a jump cut from one emotion to another, and in hysterical but telling ways. Yeah, it's a great great film. I love it. I think it does not get enough of its credit. It needs to be discovered. It needs to become some sort of a cult status movie at the very least. And you can find it on HBO now. My favorite film of the 2000s, 500 Days of Summer. But what is your favorite film of this decade? And where can you find it to stream? Feel Cause, free. Because that's the rule, guys. That is the rule. <laughs> that's the one That's the one guideline here. So uh, email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com with your picks. Shanna, where can people find you on the internet as we wrap up this episode? You can find me on all my channels through my website, shannapaxton.com, S-H-A-N-N-A-P-A-X-T-O-N.com. You can also follow me on Instagram, A Woman's Journey to Empowerment. That's the singular woman. And that's where I'll be. Awesome. You can find me and these episodes on thegibsonreview.com and as well as past reviews that date back to 2010-2009 uh, era uh, and other articles. You can uh, also go to Facebook slash The Gibson Review to find third-party links, these episodes, and uh, some mini-reviews, although I've been slacking on the mini-reviews lately. Life has definitely distracted me. You can also go to iTunes and SoundCloud to find more episodes, subscribe, leave a review, we really could use the reviews and the extra exposure. And what else? Oh, Flick Chart, the Gibson 99. Find me there. I've seen like 3,100 movies. Take a look. See how it compares to your list. Shanna, do you know what's coming up? It's 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 a pretty big deal. It's actually really important because it'll kind of be like an anniversary movie for us too. Okay. I don't know if we're talking about the same thing. Well, I'm talking Avengers about Avengers Infinity War yes, is coming. That's right. And one of the first the first film we watched in the cinema together was Avengers. That's right. Six years ago. That's mm-hmm. true. That's true. That's true. So Avengers Infinity War will be the focus of the next episode as well as Film Faves 1999. So we're entering the 90s, folks. But here's the thing. We're going to change up our schedule here to try to accommodate for some of the releases. So rather than in 14 days, the next episode should pop up on May Day, May 1st. So keep an eye out for that. Fingers crossed on us and our turnaround time. But after that, everything will still be back to the every other week schedule. Until then... Keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying... Bye-bye. Schedule maps out to be for our episodes. <laughs> it may just be me talking uh, on the show. 